COVID-19 forced many schools to go online. But what about schools whose entire curriculum is meant to be online? We speak to Ethan about his experience working at a startup with a global and virtual education. I'm Francesco. And I'm Nalan. And this is Work It. everyone. Today on the show we've got Ethan, an educator at a up-and-coming education startup based here in Singapore. Welcome and thank you for joining. Hi, how's it going? Nice to be here. Hi, Ethan. Ethan, maybe we start off uh, with you telling us a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do in your startup. Gosh, okay. Well, that's uh, that's almost like a very difficult conversation to have. There's too many things that everyone does in a startup all the time. Um, all right, about myself. Sort of how I came to this. Uh, traditionally trained as a primary school teacher. That's where I come from. I love uh, love working with kids, and I knew that if I worked as a secondary school teacher, I'd probably end up with a kid who was like me, um, and I'd want to clock him in the face, um, which obviously I wouldn't be allowed to do. So, uh, so, so I went for primary school when I when I was studying at least. Um, but uh, during my last year, I joined. Uh, I, I met Debbie and sort of joined with her and um, at this company called the Set Now and. Well, it's, it's three and a half years later, and it's suddenly three and a half years later, and I don't know what sort of happened, but it's uh, been an amazing, amazing sort of journey through learning mainly the business and economic side of things, which is stuff I ne- never thought I'd be touching, along with teaching kids from all the way from six to about, well, we've had some adults too, to about 24 years old, across honestly a range of subjects. So it's been absolutely mad, and we started online, so the pandemic didn't do anything for us, which was amazing in, in terms of that. It didn't really change up what I had to do, so I was a very... Lucky, lucky fella at that point in time. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we're moving, we're moving on, and uh, the eventual start Sky School, where people can log in from all over the world and uh, do a different sort of curriculum is what we're aiming for. We, but obviously, credentialing a curricula is tens of years, unfortunately. Education is not exactly the fastest moving industry in business, is it? Is that the uh, is that the eventual goal to to become an accredited school uh, as a replacement for traditional schools? And yeah. on top of that, Ethan, yeah, uh, what's different? What's what's a different curriculum? You know, what, what does that constitute? Yeah. Well, it's kind of looking at. I mean, you don't go into a job interview and and people don't ask what can't you do, mm-hmm. do they? You go into a job interview and and people ask you what can you do? What are your strengths? I mean, they ask you your weaknesses, but they're really looking at what can you do to fit a particular purpose. So instead of having all these subjects where you're telling people how good you are at something, the idea, and this is obviously very, very new, it's, it's not something that I would say is anywhere near pushing, but my idea at least is that, uh, and, and a few schools out there are thinking about this too, I know, is the idea of micro-credentialing. So it's almost as if you're bringing the university level sort of credit system down to the high school level, and instead of having all these subjects which you do, which some of them you don't use very much in real life at all. You have this more open education plan where you're able to actually choose particular courses, choose particular credits, and some credit, some courses might be shorter, so you might have, but you might want to try a bunch of different things in high school because you have no idea what you want to do. So you might try like a computing one on one. You might try like a, even a podcast one on one. You might try a 
education 101, you might try teaching your peers 101, and that might be like just worth two points or something like that. But at the end of it, you might have this, uh, this, this sort of portfolio of courses where you suddenly have a certain number of credit points and that's something that universities will accept. But unfortunately, you can't change an education system. Sorry, I'm not, this, it's annoying to me. But you can't change an education system unless the universities change themselves. Because unfortunately, you look at parents and you tell parents, oh, this is new, it's better for your kid, it will help them later in life, they've got the soft skills, they've got their job experience, they've got all this sort of stuff. The parents come back and ask you, is it going to get them into Stanford? Is it going to get them into the Ivy Leagues? Is it going to get them to Oxford, Cambridge? You can't change a curriculum unless you've got this top-down approach because if they don't accept it, all you're telling parents is, great, they're going to have a high school level, well, education at this point in time and not going to be able to do their tertiary stuff. Well, that's kind of like the paradox of the whole education system as well, right? That it's not really the kids that are making the, the choices, it's really the parents that are deciding what to do you know, with, with their future. So, yeah, it's, it's hard to change that. Yeah, it's that mindset. That mindset is really, really difficult because, I mean, if it, if it worked for me, why doesn't it work for my kid, right? I mean, I'm successful now. Why can't my kid be successful the same way that I'm successful? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But obviously, the world's changing too quickly for that. And we've seen that just during the pandemic. There's certain things have been accelerated beyond belief and then other things have suddenly just died out rather quickly. So is this, is this kind of something like the Minerva University model, but taking that approach to primary, secondary, high school levels of, of teaching? Yeah, it's something along those lines. I think, uh, I think I haven't properly fleshed it out yet, but the idea of mm. micro-credentialing is just to be able to hit on certain pain points, which um, as students, while talking to students, they, they kind of bring up a little bit. And one of those is the fact that they learn hard skills instead of soft skills. And then suddenly they go into, even if, and if they're lucky enough to get an internship or be a part of an internship program, they go in and they uh, can't use those hard skills very well because suddenly they're all, bosses don't look for that within their, within their employees. I mean, how often is it that you do a degree and then suddenly that's the job you're doing in the future? So even university to an extent is just, you know, getting a piece of paper to say that you have the ability. And I guess what, to me, what university says is that you've been able to apply yourself for four years and it proves that you want to go further in learning and yes there are some university degrees which you need for certain jobs and i absolutely accept that but for a lot of them i mean it just feels like it's it's an application process in terms of applying yourself an application to a job but that's what it feels like to an extent sorry that's tangential but go ahead well, <laughs> not, not that much i mean we've seen that with a lot of um, guests that we had over uh, on the podcast they, they they've told us exactly the same thing or at least we've seen that there is a pattern of starting a certain thing in university and then just uh, ending up in a completely different field so it's it's not really that tangential yeah well i was reading the uh, well not the other way it's actually a while back now but there was this idea uh, there was a couple of studies done that obviously a few generations ahead of us you know you stick in the same sort of job vocation your entire life but our generation apparently changes that vocation about three to five times on average which is absolutely mad when you think about it, because can you imagine having to start all over again in a new sort of idea, a new sort of job, a new sort of, new sort of environment, not only a new environment, but you have to learn something entirely new. So it, it becomes very much this reliance on soft skills that we need as compared to, oh, I can, I, I, I've got like this seven in maths, I've done like a maths, uh, a maths degree, I've done all of this. I mean, that's fantastic, but you have to be able to apply that to a certain area of, of life. And um, that, that's pretty important in terms of that. Yeah, very true. You know, you mentioned you you started the platform online anyway, so there was zero impact from from COVID nineteen. How have you found teaching online? I think a lot of people in traditional education institutions have said that uh, the the face to face experience still has some 
value or some benefit in you know in teaching schools and kind of allowing the students to go into breakout groups and and brainstorm and stuff like that since your model was built from the ground up online how have you i guess adapted or how have you developed the teaching style for the students to optimize the the online platform well the benefit that we have in not being a pro- in not being a full-blown school yet is that we still maintain our core value which is that education needs to be personalized and student driven mm-hmm. and the fact that it's per- we are relatively small and we don't believe in having more than eight in a in, even if it's in a, in a course at a time mm-hmm. means that we are able to really dig down deep and focus on what the kids want so i'm not sure i know i did ivy within uwc uh everything seems rather the same you do poetry that maybe you don't like maybe you do a book here that you don't like and, and that's great to an extent i know that we have to have that within schools because there's a certain regulation and there's a certain number of students within the class and you can't case to absolutely everyone's knees like, oh, this person can do this piece of literature, this person can do this piece of literature. Mm-hmm. But we have the ability now to actually train the skills behind the sort of exam technique, behind uh, becoming better, better learners, more global citizens in that sense, while peeking at their interests instead. So maybe it's looking at if you're doing English language, maybe it's looking at an article to do with the NHL if you've got a student who's really interested at that. But, you know, it's not something that's ever going to be touched on in Singapore <laughs> high school, of course. <laughs> I mean, how many people enjoy NHL here? Yeah. Or even for my... I, I love, it, like, Australian rules. Uh, but that's never going to be touched on in Singapore high school as well. Um, but it's something that I would be so keen to analyse an article like that, uh, really take it apart. Or even, to be fair, there's a couple of podcasts about it which are really interesting to look at as well. And... Uh, sort of desires and messages behind that. But anyways, the idea of teaching online comes with a few fallbacks at times. That human aspect, and I was talking about this with a student the other day because he's doing an article on how introducing technology into sports is making us lose the human aspect of sports. Those sort of iconic moments, you know, Diego Maradona's hand of God, which would never happen nowadays because of VAR or, 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 or even the idea that, you know, someone biting someone else like Mike Tyson and, and, and against that other bloke was... that <laughs> You wouldn't capture those nowadays, uh, particularly if it was contested. Um, and you lose this sort of human touch. Even in tennis, they removed line judges from the Australian Open. But anyway, so it's the idea that the technology can lose that human aspect, which is why what we focus on very much is that relationship. So instead of going straight into lessons or anything, what we advocate our educators to do is focus more on the relationship first, because that will allow you to connect better. I mean, how difficult is it to connect with a stranger as adults over the internet already? Yeah. Imagine much more for, for a kid who thinks suddenly that you've got this person as an authority sort of figure over you. That's not what we want to see it as. We see, we see it more as a, instead of teacher, we see it more as an educator slash a coach for academics, for beyond academics, for the skills that you want to learn for your personal development. And that's the way that we sort of went about it. So it's more of a mindset change as compared to anything else because we still believe that the, well, technology was being integrated into classrooms anyway. So it, there's the level that it's still pretty easy to do it online as long as you're much more focused on who the learner is. So it's not the way that it's done. Before we, I think, dive into more details about the job, could we take a little bit of a step back on just the company itself, uh, could you tell us how how it came together and uh, how you how you know how you found yourself there? Oh gosh, uh, Ethan, sorry. One one question also connected to this, which is: Is this a small startup? Because earlier you mentioned that you're also doing, let's say, the business side of of things. So I'm just wondering why you're dabbling between different fields. Uh, so that's the question: whether it's a startup or not. 
So it's um. <laughs> well, the, found, the founder started in early 2018. She's ex Goldman Sachs. Uh, hated it when she worked there. You know, went to Georgetown, magna cum laude, uh, all that sort of thing. Went to work at Goldman Sachs. You know, did the whole corporate idea. Hated it. Absolutely abhorred it. And decided that she wanted to do something in education instead. She wanted to learn something different because she'd obviously gone through it and had felt that. Had felt tired, had felt stressed, had felt the real like the, the rigor really setting in, almost like a rigor mortis as you're sort of like going through the education system. Um, but so she started in early 2018. I met her sort of halfway through the year, and um, we had three t- three folks on the comp in the company back then. Honestly, up until about end of 2019, we still only had about seven or eight teachers on with us that point in time most of them in part-time roles and then there was three of us who sort of worked full-time um but after that we've grown so now we've got uh, about 70 teachers working part-time with us we have a much larger community of teachers who we can draw on for expertise at certain points in time uh, we do teacher training with them as well we've added a bunch of particular examiners for different courses in at the same time and we've expanded up beyond academic time as well but the trouble was, is that we still have a core team of about six people because that's what it takes, really. And then beyond that, to pull in teachers and all that sort of idea, because we're at not a school yet, we take we, we still have teachers who work within their own schools around the world, mainly from actually we've got a bunch right now. We've got we've expanded to America and India and all sorts of places at this point in time. So we've got teachers from all over the world who come and work at different points in time and uh, grab a student on a particular package of about 20 or 32 hours and then run it like that. Um, what it means though is that because there's such a small core team, you end up doing a lot. So in the first in, in the first like year and a half, I mean even two years up until, actually until very recently, until we probably got a marketing head, the idea has been that I've done marketing, I've done social media, I've dabbled in the ideas of the finances, I've dabbled in running the, the scenes behind the company. Um, it's It's been very different and it's not something I thought I'd do because I don't like the idea of money, personally. Um, <laughs> in fact, when I came in, I told David, I don't I, I, I don't want to touch anything to do with the money first. You deal with that side of things, I'll, I'll sort, of, sort of teach you side of things. Um, but it's something that, that, that eventually you have to you have to help out on and, and, and that's the good thing about the team. The team, this core team of six, everyone is so comfortable to talk to each other that no one feels like anything they say in there is ever not going to be a safe space, which is very useful for us because it means that we all are very willing to uh, offer help to other people when they're perhaps in a little bit of a pickle in terms of too many clients to call here, you know, maybe you've got a little bit of a fire to put out here. Other things get done and people do what needs to be done. So in that sense, you have to be relatively open-minded to just trying a bunch of new things and teaching yourself a couple of things too. And this, this, this is kind of your first actual full-time job right? yeah. out of, out of university. So I guess what drew you to, you know, to join the startup, especially since you joined it quite early as one of the first, you know, within the first five, six people on the team uh, versus going down the more traditional route of what you studied for uh, and joining a school to become a teacher. Actually, it's terrifying. I'm actually the second old. Well, beyond Debbie, I've been there the longest now, which is almost a terrifying. So you're thought. technically employee number two, I guess. Yeah, which yeah. is a terrifying <laughs> thought to me. It's not, not, not a position I ever thought I'd be in. Um, but um, <laughs> anyways, um, I, I guess what drew me to it was 
Partly Debbie. De- De- Debbie's very, very, very charismatic. She sells incredibly well, and seeing her with Clark, she can take them on a journey. I, I don't know how she does it. I could never do it that way, but she takes clients on this journey, and that this is the right way to go. And I know that that's something that the the philosophy behind what we're doing is something that I truly believe in. And I think it's the direction that I thought when I first started that is the direction that education is actually headed into is headed towards as well. So it's something that I wanted to at least have a foot in first, because I think it's going to be useful when I eventually do uh, join a more standard you know, brick and mortar sort of job. I mean, at that point in time, who knows if it's still going to be brick and mortar? It's probably going to be a little more blended at that point. But um, you know, we'll use that for for, for this purpose sake. Uh, anyway, but because eventual goal in my personal life is to start a school in a probably less privileged area. I love South America. I uh, speak a little bit Spanish, but I've forgotten all of it now. So I'm going to probably have to uh, refresh my memory there at certain points in time. Um, but it's a place that I'd love to go back to and I'd love to give back to because, um, well, I actually, I went with your brother, Alan, and uh, yeah. I had a mate, but it was, it was a fantastic two months and, and it was just great to see what, 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 how friendly everyone was there. But at the same time, just the level of life there in particular villages in that, that we saw was uh, not well looked after. And I'm sure we're all well aware of the political state in quite a lot of South American countries right now, unfortunately, as well. Sorry, tangential again. That's very, very, that's that's very Ethan. I do apologize. Yeah. That's fine. It creates no interesting conversations. So I guess, um, you know, you, you talked about wanting to set up your own own school eventually. Do you think you're going to go down the route of, uh, you know, primarily online driven personalized experience, like what you're working with now is, is, or did you have in mind a more traditional setup? Depends on, depending on where it is. At this point, I, based on the place I'm thinking about, it would have to be a more traditional setup is my guess. And the hope is that I've uh, managed to sort of manage my finances well enough that I'd be able to sort of try and finance a couple of uh, electronics and that sort of thing to try and give them that leg up within these particular places as well. Of course, we can go through the, down the fundraising route as well at the same time and try to work through that. But at the same time, I don't want to necessarily ask other people to try and help them. I would love, My idea is that you can help bring yourself out of it with a little bit of help on the side. And I believe education does that well for everything, to be honest. I mean, we look at Black Lives Matters, we look at uh, the, the, uh, all, all the gender sort of stuff that's coming out right now. We look at the sort of uh, LGBTQI plus stuff that's come out and everything, all of that can be sort of addressed through education. And it has to be addressed early. It's not something that you can talk to kids. I mean, I'm, I mean, even the idea of even the idea of sex. I mean, if you take that away from kids at a very early age, and you suddenly make this that, that taboo subject or a subject that's difficult to talk about, it's it, it's one that's not going to help them. Or even the idea of poverty. If you don't talk about it, if you don't talk about ways to change it, how it, how is it actually going to change when they end up going into the workforce? And that's not what they've been taught. That's they've not been taught to like think about these processes to think about how to make the world better to think about anyone except for themselves and their grade to be honest at that point in time. <laughs> um, so it's, it's one where I believe it's going to be more of a personal struggle to get out of it, but people need to believe that they can get out of it. And with that sort of scaffolding to support them to get out of it is what I believe that school can potentially be if I can set it up in the right sort of area with the right sort of feelers in the community as well. It's all about giving back to the community at that point. But the hope is yes, that it will be sort of blended.
Nathan, do you think that the experience that you had so far in, in your com- in your current company also related to how to bring up, you know, an operations from, from the ground up uh, is going to help you a lot in, in doing this? Or do you think that you still have quite a lot to learn in that area? And connected to this also, do you think that you're enjoying that side of, of your job more now rather than the education part of it? Or, yeah, you know, have your interests shifted a little bit? I do understand that the education is the big core of your uh, of who you are, but yeah, just wondering whether the other side is also uh, something that it's it's catching your interest a bit more day day by day, you know. Hundred percent, hundred percent, and it, and it does. And, and in terms of what I've learned on the, on this sort of like journey so far, it's it's helped me immensely. I mean, there's still a lot to learn, which I I love, and obviously. Debbie herself is quite young as a CEO, so there's a lot for us that we've both been learning at the same time. And a few pitfalls we've fallen into, but we've been better at, in terms of finding um, advisors. Uh, so for instance, we, 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 we've looked to a couple of other people who started eight tech companies who we actually have their clients as kids and then they uh, were able to like draw their knowledge at the same time. You know, what's work, what works for you guys when you were scaling up, that sort of idea, because they're in slightly different, different parts of the ed tech field. But, been very useful in terms of that you know we one of the people who we have on the job now is in the within the core team is actually debbie's ex uh financial not finance sorry ib coordinator uh from when she was back in school herself and he's had 30 years within the education field itself so it's a matter of mixing these sort of tech advisors and then at the same time education advisor and it's been so useful for me to just wrap my head around things and how these can actually integrate themselves nicely within within a business to actually learn that and obviously there's still a long way to go and um, that's something I'm looking at particularly for scalability is something that I'm looking forward to learning I guess in the coming years uh, but yeah 100% my interests have, have not gone away from education so much my favorite time is still when I'm in the classroom with my uh, with my learners but that that other side of things has become a lot more interesting in terms of meeting schools trying to pitch products you know trying to see what works in terms I, I, I did psychology in university as well but suddenly the like brand psychology and all that sort of stuff like just actually is interesting to me and it's not like oh I just did it for developmental psychology in university now it's like there's this whole new like untapped market which I'm able to sort of uh, have a look at at the same time and that's something that's really interested me in particular very cool, Very cool. I, I want to touch more a bit on what you were talking about on improving education access to less privileged communities uh, I, I know here in Singapore we had a, a a politician say every school is a good school do you do you think that kind of this um, move towards technology you know being able to learn from teachers all over the world um, you can take a class from a Harvard professor now sitting in uh, you know Ho Chi Minh City as an example do you think this you know this effect is actually going to lead to that end goal around the world? Every school could be a good school with access to that? Um, or do you think that there are still a few challenges that maybe we're missing, you know, sitting in mostly privileged countries um, with easy access to technology and education? I mean, there's always going to be challenges, and that's the thing. The, 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 the expansion of technology has allowed us to do what you say, but unfortunately, it's all up to connections again. Um, and those are the best connections, are obviously, or best connections, best brand recognition. You know, UWCs, SASs, that sort of that sort of. I hesitate to say, but almost the top tier of the international schools in Singapore will have guests who want to come, and they'll be have connections to people who are able to again access from across the world, or because you can't just grab a guest from 
for instance, South Sudan, who might be working there within with, within a particular within a particular field that you're really interested in, to, uh, to to have a chat at your school, and that's just something that's not possible. And even if you look at places right now, key one that comes to mind in, in Southeast Asia, at least, is Myanmar, with particular geopolitical situations. Unfortunately, access to internet isn't a isn't something that is almost not not worldwide anymore, but it's not something that's uh, guaranteed, and it's and it's a very easy way for a government, in particular, to control what their population wants to see and what they don't want to see. I mean, you look at China, you look at even uh, Jammu and Kashmir in India for a while. I mean, there, there's there's instances all over the world where. I mean, to be fair, you look at you look at all of India. You look at the way that they were very interested in Twitter when it first came out, and now they're like putting all these bans on Twitter and all that stuff. Sort of now, <laughs> it, it, it it sort of blows your mind. Governments are realizing that technology is what is going to one help their people and educate them. So yes, absolutely, it does work in that sense. But it almost scares them because a large proportion of the world governments count on their populations being ignorant. To actually maintain their power uh, within their countries, sadly. So it's it's one of those things that while it is going to become available to everyone, it's it, it, it's also mainly going to be available again for those that privileged top 10 percent who's actually going to be able to use it in the way that might actually benefit them. Um, and, you know, with open source resourcing and all that sort of idea. Makes sense. Thank you for sharing. I, I liked the the idea or like the point you brought up. Very important point that connections are still still quite important i think in uh in life i mean you can you could get a harvard education but if you don't know anyone it, it may not do you any good absolutely i mean hand hand holding is the way that a lot of people get jobs in, in today's market mm-hmm. and, and and you know for for good reason it, it makes sense if you know someone you can sort of back that credibility that trust so it is uh it is a relatively easy way for employers to find people to work for them and i understand that but yeah, it, it's an easy win for both parties, so of course. Yeah. Um, so Ethan, I wanted to go back a little bit into what you do, as sure. you know, as uh, not a teacher, as you as you said, but as an educator. Uh, so can you tell us a, a little bit about what do you actually teach and how are your classes structured? Because, as you mentioned, you have you know students from uh, all over the world. You're expanding to the U.S. and so on. So can you give us a bit of an insight on on how your day looks like? Sure. Uh, it's, it's very interesting. There's a sort of mix. Um, sometimes during the mornings, it's a little busier if I have a couple of students from the States or from Europe in particular. So that's when I have the slightly earlier mornings. Um, but after, after that, usually if we're on this side of the world, it becomes very busy after sort of 3, 4 p.m. for me in terms of classes, at least. So I've got this sort of middle period to uh, do the sort of business side of stuff to, uh, to touch on anything else that, in, that comes along for the company in that sense. Um, in terms of, and I'll get to that bit in a sec, but in terms of structuring classes, what I tend to do one-on-one at least is start, and I, I love, as I said, relationship is important. So I start every class with five minutes just chat to kid. What have you done? How are you doing? How are you feeling? Why do you feel like that? You know, <laughs> if your parent got on your nerves, is everything okay? Why do you think you felt like that? Why do you think they felt like that? Because uh, to me, a reflection is a lot, is a big thing as well. You know, it's not just, oh, mom got mad at me the other day or, you know, oh, my friend got mad at me. Oh, I, I, I fell down the stairs or something like that. You have to, what, what, what happened? Why did that happen? Are you okay? So um, th- that's important to me to start with that just as the beginning of my lesson. And then I sort of move in 
with an initial sort of prompt or activity where it's a bit more discussion based, it's a bit louder, it's a bit, uh, we're able to sort of express ourselves any way we want to before we move into the chunk of the lesson where we sort of do learning based on trying to explore certain concepts that I want to, that the student and I want to explore, but I let them sort of explore it through either a couple of mini activities or we do a little bit of research, or we do a little bit of writing here and there. Then sort of, I guess it would be from about fourth and fifth, sixth of the lesson, we'd have that sort of period where they sit down, do a little bit of work themselves, you know, try to bring themselves back down, regulate a little focus, get some work done before we bring them back at the end and like raise the tempo a little bit again to just try and emphasize what they've learned and then reflect a little bit on what they've, how well they think they know it and what they want to sort of continue working on as they go along. Um, that's how I do it one-on-one -on -one generally and it follows the same sort of feel when it's a group course I don't enjoy doing a lot of writing within my classes I teach a lot of English to an extent um, but I don't enjoy doing a lot of writing within class I tend to like leaving those little sections outside and then they can come back and we have a more verbal class as compared to you know guess what I'm gonna sit here you're gonna sit here and we're just gonna hear the tippy tappy of keys going the whole entire time um, that that to me is not learning learning is all about that communication and collaboration so that's at least the lessons on that side of things. The fun bit is that uh, when we have our courses, it, it, it becomes a little bit rowdy, which I quite like. Uh, as, as, as a relatively rowdy person myself at times, I believe in allowing that sort of behavior as long as it doesn't, it doesn't become disruptive or rude to anyone else in the classroom. Um, but I understand that, there are, that, that it is very helpful to have that leeway. Um, in terms of business side of things, it's kind of fun. I right now head curriculum and content, so I get to come up with a bunch of funky courses at times. I love the book Super Freakonomics. So we were trying to do a course. We did try to come up with a course on that recently. We tried to do one to do with the economics of video games. We've had stuff, the basics like movie analysis. We've done a like empathy theater one. It's been it's been phenomenal. So I get to come up with a bunch of courses with teachers who want to teach certain things. Um, and we just try to come up with like a 12, 20 hour course with that. So that's always fun. And then it's clients, teacher management, and I, I, I tend to supervise the HR department as well. So I get involved with the interviews in terms of that and uh, you know, making sure stuff gets out with pays, accounting, all that sort of thing too, which is not, again, like I said, finance is not an area which I thought I'd be very much into, but it's been intriguing to sort of understand how that goes in that sense. Actually, it's useful, sorry, and if, if I may, um, <laughs> the, com the company works really well because Pavan, our CEO, and Devi are, are big thinkers. They, they, they think of these absolutely wild, like mad ideas, and, and it's great, but the, but, but, but the foil to that is that they need someone who can help them organize that into something that's actually going to happen. Mm -hmm. So in terms of that, that seems to be a little bit my role just the sort of more nitty gritty ones. They come up with this all, these awesome ideas at the same time. And as much as I can do that, as much as I like coming up with awesome ideas too, the, the, the sort of implementation is part of my role, as I said now as well, um, because Debbie and Pavan are the big salespeople on our team. They bring in, they're, they're the folks who like really, really, really connect with clients really well. And uh, obviously, I mean, they did business and marketing within their, within, within their degrees and all that sort of thing. So they sort of understand to an extent, better how that works. Me, personally, I don't connect well with adults. I connect well with kids, um, <laughs> unfortunately. I feel like the topic of funky, how you call it, the funky curricula 
uh, slash funky courses. It's something that it's becoming very prominent in Singapore as well. I don't know if you if you've seen also what they're doing in universities. Um, I'm personally from NTU, and I do know that every year they come up with something new that you know interlaces, for example, business and and technology. And really, every single year they have something completely new and revolutionary that I don't personally see how it would fit. Or maybe it's something so much on the edge that I don't really see how it would benefit anybody because it's such a specific, um, you know, area or field. But yeah, it's it's interesting to see that you guys also at a different level are doing the the exact same thing. So it seems like it's something that that it's ramping up and that it's that it's working right. Uh, people, I mean, in Singapore in particular, education is always seen as very high. It's very highly regarded in Singapore, isn't it? I mean, particularly the academic side, but. You as the universities in Singapore and the polys as well start to collaborate a little more, you sort of see these courses which are a little more, maybe not hands-on is the wrong word as they're still within the universities, but they're a lot more able to address certain needs, but through an interesting lens as compared to your typical sort of one-on-ones, one-on-twos or whatever it is at that point in time, which is, I love, I love seeing it. It's phenomenal to see. I'm actually really hoping that next generation of... Uh, of business folk and of startup owners and of who, whatever whatever realm they go into is, is, is going to be really, really creative and innovative because I can see that really happening nowadays within the universities at least too, which gives me hope for high schools because, you know, top-down approach. <laughs> you talked about, uh, you know, being able to kind of design curriculum and everything as, as part of your job now. Uh, could you talk about, I guess, the most innovative or, you know, strangest course that you've designed and or your favorite? Yeah. <laughs> I had exactly the same question. Yeah, thanks. Gosh. <laughs> um, our flagship is entrepreneurship. That's the one that we really yeah. like. That's the one that we put out there for schools. So we've got UWC East actually just did their. So we do a little Shark Tank sort of thing. We call it the bullpen, sort of like a batting cage where you practice your pitches. Get it? <laughs> ah, <laughs> ah, all right. But. Um, <laughs> So we did, we sort of do that, and UWC East just just finished that. At least they, they did a two season ECA portion with us, and so we just had them present to a bunch of judges. And we, the winner was uh, oh gosh, it was a, a a mental wellness app, which someone's someone's not developed yet, but they they the prize was like thousand bucks, so it's sort of seed money to start hopefully get them started, and then we sort of guide them through the next sort of phases as they move. Um, but that's sort of our flagship, and that's one that we want to integrate within schools. So we're working with a couple of different schools. Um, Dulwich is sort of in the future because they create they themselves are thinking about creating a different type of school within Singapore. Again, outside the regular sort of curricula that you see. Um, so integrating that within that curricula is the wildest thing we've had to do so far because what they want to do is they want to have a transdisciplinary approach where they have the entrepreneurship at the center of it. And basically all our other subjects, English, maths, economics, whatever it is, offshoot from that and link to that. So it's absolutely mad. Um, the school itself is not ready. It will, won't be ready for another few years. But it's um, that's the maddest one that we've got so far. But the one that I like that I've done so far most um, is economics for video games. Obviously, video games is huge. Uh, we have a couple of Twitch streamers here already. Uh, shout out <laughs> to both of them. <laughs> Uh, I know of, of course, uh, Fran might be doing it as well, but <laughs> we have a few Twitch streamers here, so video games is obviously huge, and it's it's one where we want to, whenever I'm designing courses, the focus is on trying to hit the pain points for parents, turning addiction into something useful, 
And in that sense, that's what we were doing with video games. And the kids loved it because it was something that they were so passionate about as well. And to be honest, they knew more than I did. I was just helping them more with the sort of, sort of like bringing those ideas together in a way that actually they understood what was behind it, the psychology, the economics, how they sell it, all that sort of idea. How they get you hooked. I mean, the addiction behind video games is mad as well. Um, so that, that was the most, that's the most entertaining one that I've done so far. Uh, do you have any memorable experiences from the classroom when you're actually doing the hands-on teaching or educating? Or do you have uh, anything that particularly stands out to you, uh, I guess? They're probably the funny ones, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's fine. <laughs> what I'm thinking about is just that. I mean, I've got let, a kid... Let, let's not ruin any, anybody's kid's life, but... Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, just think about it this way. There's, a few, there's one kid in particular who's uh, very comfortable with me now, and he needed to do number two in the middle of class so he was like i don't want to miss out on any class mr barnes uh actually he calls me mr ethan's so he was like mr ethan i don't want to miss out on any class can i take you to the toilet and i'll do the i'll do the class on the toilet. <laughs> it's like no 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 you leave the computer we'll be okay i'll let you know what's that and he's like no no i'll just get it on my phone i was like no 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 it's okay don't worry we're good um, I'm sure you'll be able to explore that and, and it was great so I got into this sort of descriptive piece on it afterwards when he came back and he was he was so entertained by it. He, he absolutely loved it. it it still sticks out as one of the almost disastrous <laughs> moments in my memory but it was, it, it, it was really fun the beauty of technology and what it enables oh yeah oh yeah what is privacy what is privacy <laughs> well that's actually a very good analogy that's the analogy of you know, Google asking you, do you give me consent to, to get this data? That's basically what has happened in real life. Yeah, right there. Live. <laughs> oh, I probably would have added commentary as well, knowing this kid. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, as a kid, I would understand that, you know? You want to you want to let the other side know what's happening. Was no. it a class with multiple... Uh, with multiple kids or was it just him and you there were four there were four in, uh, in, in the session them. at the time so it was uh, <laughs> it was interesting there, one of them was one of them in there was his brother and his brother was like ah! <laughs> oh so they were not they weren't they weren't even rooting for him they were no, just like disgusted was like no get out of here why do I live with you <laughs> uh, fair enough you probably have seen that before he doesn't want to see that again <laughs> exactly and the aftershock from when the bathroom door opens as well <laughs> All right, how much time do we have more? Eh, we're basically there. Now oh, do you have I any more questions? No, 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 no worries. Uh, yeah. We um, always have a ton of questions, so that's the problem. We need to keep track of, of time I at guess, a certain point. Uh, probably maybe to, to round off, do you have any uh, you know, advice for listeners, especially those considering a career in education? The turnover of teachers after the first year of teaching is incredibly high incredibly high i think people get out of a university and they, they they have this whole idea that they love kids that you want to work with kids great doing it every day in day out different matter folks when you go into teaching don't have it as a second option if you want to go into teaching i beg you for the benefit of the learners as much as it is as it is yourself let it be something that you're passionate about if you're if you're passionate about baking sourdough and let's be honest it's the pandemic everyone loves their sourdough <laughs> if you're passionate about baking sourdough bring that same passion into teaching because that's the only way that kids are going to learn kids have this amazing radar for bs i don't know how i don't know i i, I don't i don't know why it was wired into children 
for kids have this amazing radar for BS and if you aren't authentic with them, if your passion isn't real, if what you're teaching you're not excited about, it shows. They know. And, uh, and they won't get excited, they won't have that, that verve for education if you don't. So if you want to go into education, I 100% back it. I think it's one of the most important, important professions in the world. Personally, obviously I would say that I'm biased as hell. I apologize to everyone, all the other professions out there. But I, 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 I think that without education, how do we get all the other professions out there? Of course. First place. Um, as well as how do we address issues which seem to be systemic within our society. Um, systemic changes only come from if we're changing the next generation. It's difficult, as much as we want to change the generations that aren't in education anymore and those who change the world and the leaders right now, as we move on as in, in, in the world and as we move on to more social, respons social responsibility, sustainability, and a sort of more green, enviable world to live in if we had aliens looking at us and they wanted to, uh, to, to copy us. <laughs> the idea is that we need young leaders who have been brought up with the right morals, values, and have been allowed to make their own decisions on it, but have been given their entire story at a younger age. So education, to me, hugely important. Love what you do and uh, get into it for the right reasons, folks. Okay, that sounds like a very good place to round off. Any uh, key takeaways today, Francesca? Quick, quick, quick recap. Awesome insights. Thank you very much for being on, Ethan. Yeah, so is in the key takeaways, I think the one of the main ones is what Ethan just mentioned about the passion. I always assumed education to be a, a field where you need to be very passionate about it, otherwise you're not going to last. If you know it's someone that it's not really at the forefront of, of education as, as as teaching, but who is building the curriculums, curricula, sorry to all the Latin speakers out there, which is zero. <laughs> so definitely... That's, <laughs> you say that then there's going to be like one guy who writes it yeah <laughs> oh yeah for sure yeah i'm gonna leave both of them i'm gonna leave the the option for the non-latin speakers and the option for the latin speakers so that they know which one to pick so they they've got nothing on us and yeah and the, the the second part that i really that I really enjoyed is that it was not just a discussion about education but it's about the value of education and how they've been building that as part of a startup so you know it's not just teacher walking into a school having a curriculum and they need to go along with that and that's pretty much it but it's kind of like the whole environment that it's encompassing that so the whole ecosystem that that they're trying to that they're trying to change and the whole ecosystem that they're trying to build in a different way that that it's it's currently kind of built up upon and this sort of like challenge towards the the current status quo again for our latin speakers which which i think it's really important nowadays you know to um to try something new, try to shake a little bit how things have been. And especially in a year like last year and actually the current one as well, where we have a lot of companies that are shifting towards the digital side of things. Um, it's good to see that you guys have, have done that, have embraced that and, you know, have made that your thing. And with with that powerful tool that is that is technology, you guys are uh, are enabling many more people to, to have access to, to education, and that's that's important. I think for me, the uh, one of the, the key points here was that there's a lot of work that happens in the background that I think people don't appreciate uh, when it comes to education, the work that goes into curriculum planning and uh, even on the business side of things, uh, the relations with educational institutions, schools, and everything to especially make uh, something that could potentially be seen as disruptive 
palatable and acceptable to people. Not just that, but also something that could be a preferred option uh, in years to come. So yeah, good. A uh, lot of lot of work that teachers put in and educators put in. So appreciate that, everyone. Yeah. Lastly, don't take your computer to to the loo. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Don't That's take right. it to the low kids. No, no matter no matter how much you love the lesson. Technology <laughs> doesn't belong in some places, ladies and gents. You can, <laughs> you can, you no, can take a break. should be everywhere except here. <laughs> All right. Thank you very All much right. again, Ethan. Thank you for having me on, Alan. Oh, it was lovely. Appreciate it. Thank you. Hope you uh, hope you enjoyed that. Thanks for listening to Work It. For more information and behind-the-scenes images, take a look at our website, workit.stream. This podcast was created by Francesco Azola and Karina Arianto. Hosted by Francesco Azola and Nala Natrajan. Recorded in sunny Singapore. Music by Justin Arianto. Thank you to Ethan for joining us today. We'll see you next time with another reason why every role kills it. The jobs you thought you knew and the people who do them. <laughs>